The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hello, I am Stephanie Lean, Miss Nebraska's Outstanding Teen, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 254, the free comic book day edition! Yes! Where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you, Jared. May the 4th be with you, Matt Baum. That's me. My name's Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not swilling tequila and celebrating Cinco de Mayo at Chalman's Cantina with my boys El Santo and Blue Demon, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And my name is Jared Savitas at Wooly Toots on the Twitter. And when I'm not, whoa, yeah. <laughs> and when I'm not, I don't know if I have to bleep that or not. <laughs> think about it. Uh, and when I'm not impersonating Matt as a Gungan for the answer of the week, I'm starting the streets of Magnamar with my boon companions as Flintlock, human freebooter, on the Pathgrinders Three Die Deep podcast. That is like a super long title. <laughs> I know, dude. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our in-depth reviews of Dungeons & Dragons, number one, and Punisher, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's comics faster than El Diablo can dispatch the Texas Twister during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we have a very important conference call coming in on the THN Ouija board. Oh, I hate those things. And we're going to wrap about next week's must-read comics. And finally, Joe and I are going to play Ask a Nerd live from Free Comic Book Day. But before we start firing our blasters into the air to celebrate every white person's favorite Mexican and Star Wars holiday, we just want to take a quick time out to wish you and yours the happiest of Free Comic Book Days. And then we'll talk about this week's big news! We got big news! Matt, now because no 1980s cartoon or toy property is safe, IDW Publishing is developing a comic book series based on Hasbro's Mama Mask. <laughs> this comes just months after Hasbro announced plans to incorporate Mobile Armored Strike Command. With a K. With a K. Back in the 80s, and they didn't want kids to spell. <laughs> and so, that's how this happened. Spelling was for nerds. <laughs> and several other of its properties in the G.I. Joe cinematic universe. Matt, come on now. Were you a fan of Mask back in the day? I think I was a bigger fan of mask or perhaps the idea of mask than gi joe but there was so much more gi joe stuff uh, yes. that like by default i had to just fall into that it was like there was just a tidal wave of toys whereas mask had like six yes right <laughs> mask was created by kenner in 1985 it had a premise similar to gi joe complete with snake-based enemies named venom the vicious mm. evil network of mayhem i love it which like who's funding those guys you know <laughs> like, how are they traded in the stock exchange <laughs> but instead of competing military organizations with red lasers and blue lasers they were pilots of heavily weaponized transforming vehicles that fired yellow and pink lasers and of course <laughs> the members of mask and venom wore masks yes. that gave them special abilities, not to put it too on the nose, but you know, this won't be mass first for into comics. The original 1985 toys were packaged with mini comics. Jared and I were just trying to figure out who wrote and drew the mask mini. Comics. Yes, we were. We if, were looking all around and up and down. If you're out there and you know it, lay it on us. Please. We have no idea. 
And there was also an ongoing series in the United Kingdom Fleetway, which I believe was a division of DC, also published Mask, an anthology magazine that was unconnected to DC <laughs> or the cartoon's continuity in 2011. Sounds rad. It was like British Mask fan fiction. Sure. <laughs> like I said, sounds cool. <laughs> sounds worth checking out at least once. Hasbro released an anthology titled unit dash e you know like unite but unit e listen this is all great all this stuff mask venom yeah unit e. again this, with yeah, the like I love this refuse to teach you how to spell mm -hmm. featuring a new mask story written by andy schmidt the new series will be written by brandon easton who's been writing for marvel's agent carter since season two do you watch that um i do but not for the writing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a very polite way to say that. <laughs> I love Bridget Regan. I'll watch anything she's in. She's hot. Okay. And he's wrote Transformers Deviation for IDW. Art Duties by Tony Vargas, who helped illustrate Jonathan Mayberry's Rot and Ruin novel. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shadows of the Past board game. So the guy's never drawn any comics. Doesn't matter. Uh, he's already got his foot in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, and I looked it up. His art's really good. Okay. The stuff that he did for Rotten Room was scary zombie stuff. Uh -huh. His TMNT stuff looked fantastic. He'll probably end up drawing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic soon as well. Maybe they'll do a crossover. Yeah. Mask launches this November as an ongoing series featuring cover art by the multi-talented Tommy Lee Edwards, who's the creator of Dark Horse's Vandroid. No matter what Tommy Lee Edwards does after this, mm -hmm. I will always call him the creator of Vandroid. <laughs> That's such a rad Vandroid name. was awesome. Vandroid. It was totally great. It was like Knight Rider, if Knight Rider was a van that murdered people. <laughs> <Yeah>. Awesome. <laughs> Good news, toots. It looks like Lucasfilm has found its young Han Solo. And let me tell you, he's one good-looking some bitch. According rascal. to the rap, 26-year-old actor Alden Einrich is finalizing a deal with Lucasfilm to play the character in the, as of yet, untitled Han Solo prequel film. I think you just call it that. Directed <laughs> by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. We all know adult Han Solo was hot as hell. But would you make out with young Han Solo? I looked this dude up. I'd make out with this dude. He's hot. Is he, is he here? He's, he's not here. <laughs> I don't have those kind of connections. <laughs> he made his film debut in 2009, but his most notable role was as Western actor Hobie Doyle in the latest Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar. That was earlier this year. It was fantastic. And he was so great in it. He was this like lovable cowboy stuntman. Sure. That could do lasso tricks and horse tricks. <laughs> but couldn't act to save his life. <laughs> and so they had him in all these really terrible Westerns and they, the studio was making money on these Westerns and Ray Fiennes plays this actor that's trying to make like art films. Yeah. Right. And they bring in Hobie Doyle to be this name in this art film and he's fucking terrible, <laughs> <laughs> like, but he's so lovable yeah. and, he, and he's good looking and he pulls off a very good, like young Han Solo, young Harrison Ford. He's got that kind of classic rough, you know, uh, scallywag yeah, look yeah. about him. Charisma. I think this guy's going to be perfect. Right on. No, I, I did not get a chance to see Hail Caesar. I I'm really want to. Oh, you got to see it. Got to um, see it. Everybody should see it. It was wonderful. But I looked this kid up. I think he, you know, he'll be great. Like, is it going to be just a solo film? Or do you think that a Han Solo film can be made without his cuddly companion, Chewbacca? Well, the report says Chewbacca is going to play a key, a quote, key role. And... 
an appearance by Boba Fett is quite entirely possible. Which, what the f*** does that mean? I was going to say, put on the brakes right there. Yeah. Now, do we need to tie those two dudes back that far? Is it really that necessary? I don't have a problem with it if we get to see young Han Solo. Like, remember the stories that we always heard, and I don't know if it was in a Star Wars book or not, where young Han Solo stormtrooper frees Chewbacca. And then this was back in the day when we thought Wookiees were just mindless fucking monsters. Yeah. And he finds out, no, this guy's actually really intelligent and he's a brilliant mechanic and we're buddies. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I love the relationship between Han Solo and Chewbacca so much. I kind of hope they, yeah, they've always been buds. Well, those two, I wasn't necessarily talking about those two because I know those two escaped. Oh, you mean Boba together. Fett? I'm talking Boba Fett. Do I we don't, need to tie? No. Like, do we need to make their uh, history between those dudes no. of animosity? No, not really. I don't think so at all. Because like I Boba like, Fett built his own name doing his own thing. I, that's what I like. I like that Boba Fett's a b- bounty hunter yeah. and he just, he just has, he'll take the job and he's like, who's this dude? Yeah, I'll mess him up. Right. And Mandalorians don't. And like there, in, there was something somewhere, right? Where Mandalorians and uh, Wookiees. No, that's Trandor. That's, that's Bosk. I no, no, right. he's got a Wookiee braid. He's got a Wookiee braid, yeah. but I thought there was a thing between the races. I think there was, where the Mandalorians I, like killed I, a bunch I, of Wookiees see, someplace. I feel like that, that's Bosk and Bosk's race. And also, that could have been totally written out of continuity. And we could have totally just made that shit up right now, because we that's how could've. we played with our Star Wars action figures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lawrence and John Kazan are scripting the film. It's scheduled for release on May 25th, 2018. Look. It's going to be great. We're all going to go. We're going to love it. This guy's an excellent choice for young Han Solo. Casey told me that they were talking about him as young Han Solo while I was watching Hail Caesar. And I think it made me like Hail Caesar even more. (laughs) Do you think they're going to slip him into like uh, Rogue One? Are they going to try to introduce him? There is a rumor that he's going to pop up in there, but I don't know. Okay. And I don't know how bad that would mess stuff up because Rogue One is supposed to take place like concurrent to Star Wars, yeah. the first Star Wars film is we oh, know. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he's what, so he'd I don't be know. Old man, or he? I mean, he's be, not, an what, old not old man, but, but maybe not then, as young as this guy. Then. Yeah, yeah. I, no, but, right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, again, I don't need it. I would love for Rogue One to float on its own. Yeah, just completely stand any connections. I understand. There's Mon Mothma, right? Right. Giving her the gig, but I don't need any more than that. No, I don't need any more connections. I don't to either. The Star Wars we grew up with. Totally agree. Give me some of the new stuff. Did we just leave this party? In other Hollywood news, Mark Wade and Peter Krause's Irredeemable film adaptation is coming from Fox. Irredeemable was uh, from Boom Studios, and Wade and Krause's character will be adapted to film by Fox off a script by Ant-Man screenwriter Adam McCain. Deadline reports that Hansel, Hansel, and Gretel, <laughs> Witch Hunters, to- Tommy Wercola is also attached to direct Matt, didn't we just get the story of a murderous superman in soups v bats dawn of murder we did but this is an actual story about murderous superman this is mark wade and peter kraus told the story it was sort of like a superman what if they wanted to do a dc and dc said no way right we're never gonna let you do that mm-hmm, i know Super- the story superman would never kill anyone that's not what superman does then they forgot about that <laughs> but that <laughs> happened later <laughs> regardless this was a wonderful comic book series. And if Fox is going to do it, they have to make it as mean and as gnarly as the comic <laughs> series was. Like, this is where we need to have a rated R superhero film. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Irredeemable is not a feel-good story. I did not see Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. I did. You did. Oh, yeah. You loved it. 
<laughs> it's kind of a mix of steampunk and fascin- uh, fantasy yeah, I'm mishmash. To steampunk, so. I know you are, dude, but listen. <laughs> It is a hoot. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you. I, you know, I'm going to watch it. I forgot about that movie. Now I'm going to, I love Jeremy Renner. I'll watch him do anything. <sighs> Wade co-created this series with Krauss back in April, 2009. It ran for 37 issues, concluding its run in May, 2012. And it inspired a spinoff titled incorruptible. Incorruptible was sort of what if Lex Luthor yeah, it was the flop. It became was the a good guy. The other side of the yeah. coin. Yeah. And also just fantastic. Boom Studios, Ross Ritchie, and Stephen Christie will produce the film alongside McKay, Gary Sanchez, and Kevin Messick. I loved Adam McKay's script for Ant-Man. Like, Ant-Man was one of those movies where I went into it with very low expectations because how are you going to sell me an Ant-Man movie? And I walked out giggling. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Mm -hmm. And a huge surprise. And, spoiler alert, he's f***ing awesome in Captain America Civil War. (laughs) He's so good. But regardless, that has nothing to do with this. I just hope this is rated R. I hope they take they. This is yeah, the place where I don't see why it wouldn't be allow the Deadpoolification of Hollywood to do its thing here. Yes, I agree. Uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't be like you know. I mean, with the success of that Deadpool and now whatever else they're going to be doing to right. whatever else they're doing. The yeah, DC is doing Making over there. Making it all rated R. <laughs> uh, it's perfect. Like it's perfect. That's this is where that kind of crazy stuff should happen. I do hope that they sort of like push the envelope until they're like, oh yeah, you think rated R makes money? Well, let's make some rated X uh, superhero films. <laughs> <laughs> PG thirteen, dude. That's where we're pushing the envelope. Boys. Wayne meets Clark Kent. Ah, I love it. I love bringing people together. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories, everything you think Toots and I missed, hit us up at the THN forums where we've posted a super cut of Batman versus Superman with some full on bats on soups action to spice things up a little bit, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Every Sunday... The Hansel to my Gretel, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week at the coolest place on the internet, the THN forums. Willie Toots, Joe is at Free Conflict right Day right now, drawing slaving s- away, drawing sketches for, for kids, slaving away for kids and nerds. His heart's too big for and his nerdy own kids, and I mean that in more ways than one. Can you tell us what Joe is asking the kids this week? I sure can. It would be my pleasure. This week's question comes from Jim Kettnerd via the THN forums. Jim asks, maybe it's the building hype for Captain America, Civil War movie, or the secret war that will just never end. <laughs> well, yeah, we should, I should remark, this is a little older. So okay. that's why he's talking about secret war. Hey, I'm cool with that. But I was thinking about war stories in comics. Maybe it would be interesting to hear the listeners chime in with the best, or possibly worst, slash most heartbreaking war in comics. Could potentially range from the standard superhero affair like the Kree Scroll War, Galactic Storm, etc. Galactic Storm. Galactic Come on, Storm. Nobody remembers that. Come on. <laughs> to soldier pulp like Sergeant Rock or the Nam, or historical riffs like 300 or Age of Bronze. Your favorite comic book war. The Age of Bronze? No, I'm just saying. That's the question. <laughs> yes, your favorite comic book war, man. That's awesome. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, May 12th. To get us your answer, you can call our Ziggurat hotline. It's 402-819-4894. That was like a robot, man. Robot. Oh, and leave us a message. If you're not feeling too shell-shocked, you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But you got to keep it under two minutes, or our Alec Baldwin AI will cut your ass off. 
If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then you can tune in next Thursday. I apologize for this week. That was my fault. To hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. I got one thing to say. I've looked at AI in its crazy single red eye. In its crazy single AI. I hate it. (laughs) It's scary. I hate it. Now it's review time in the Ziggurat, where we read and discuss two of this week's new comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Then we choose sides and battle it out at the airport on the tarmac to see whose was better. Yeah. It gets bloody out there. Cap and Iron Man style. We all come running up at each other. Oh man, I was thinking like <laughs> Indiana Jones, don't get near the blade. Oh, oh, oh. Matt, what did you review this week? This week, I had no choice but to pick up the Punisher number one for the 10th time. This is Punisher number one, <laughs> volume 10 from Marvel, written by Becky Cloonan with art by Steve Dillon, 32 pages, three ninety nine. The Punisher is tough. And I don't mean takes a licking and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I can't think of a more difficult Marvel character to write. Not because he's deep, not because he's so messed up. He's psychotic. He is an anti-hero, and the dude barely speaks. So how does a writer make us care about Frank Castle's adventures? I'm on record as loving the Punisher, and have really enjoyed the last couple of Punisher series. He is amazing on Daredevil, but even there, he's a supporting character. There is a reason that this is the 10th volume of his monthly series. He's a hard character to care about. Here, Clunan doesn't give us a chance to worry about whether we'll be getting the dark, gritty castle that Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon wrote years ago, or the snarky Frank chasing supervillains Rick Remender wrote a couple years back. Instead, she bathes this comic in blood, making Frank part urban legend and part force of nature. There's no superheroes or villains here, and this is definitely a street-level Punisher book, but it's not quite a return to Marvel Max Punisher. There's no nudity, there's no major curse words, but this is much more violent than any Marvel book on the stands <laughs> at present. Shockingly so, sometimes. Clunan also doesn't bother with any flashbacks to Frank's origin. and In fact, he's not even the main character in the book. Instead, we meet one of his old military commanders who's found himself in the wrong company. I love the way Steve Dillon draws The Punisher, And his art here took me right back to his first castle story, Welcome Back, Frank. There's nothing flashy about what Dylan does. He has thin lines. He's got very stark backgrounds. But wow, is he good at drawing raw violence. (laughs) He got that from Preacher. I met Steve Dylan at, uh, this would have been Wizard World comic convention years ago. Mm -hmm. And this was when he had just finished his Preacher run. And I was like, you are one of my favorite artists and he's kind of a, I think he's Scottish. I can't remember Scottish mm-hmm. or British. And I apologize if he's Irish, whatever. <laughs> but he had kind of a thick accent and he's like, I don't even think I'm very good, honestly. And I was like, no way, man, no one draws someone getting punched in the face like you. And he goes, Oh, that's cause I got punched in the face once. And I really didn't like it. <laughs> my only worry for this Punisher volume 10 is that like the others, it could get monotonous fast. I'm trusting Clunan to inject something new down the line, but for now, I'm perfectly happy watching Frank mow down gangsters for a couple issues, maybe three, four, I don't know. Buy it. All right, man, here's how I feel about it. To use a Joe Patrick term, I felt the story was samey. 
Okay. <laughs> now, Samey. I'm going to write that. I'm going to give him a t-shirt that says Well, listen, Samey. listen, listen, listen. I'm actually, actually, uh, when I read it the first time, I was like, okay, this is Samey. You know, this is, this is how we It did get feel it. familiar. But then when I reflected on it a little bit more, it reminded me a lot of, listen, I'm sorry, guys, to keep harping on this crap. When Robert E. Howard would write some Conan stories, he would introduce all these other people first. Yeah. And Conan would come in later and he would, he was a force of nature, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Establishing the mythos. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, The legend of the hero. It felt like that. And then I liked that aspect of it. The hero's journey. Yeah, right? Now, I also do like Steve Dillon, of course. And like looking at it, you're like, okay, this is, this is what he does. He's done Punisher before. Yeah. And it, here you go. It's like, blood spurts, blood spurts. I saw it where he kind of, the design of Frank... Uh, basically his head seemed more like they're kind of trying to tie it closer to Definitely. the actor that plays him in the Netflix. Yeah. Series. He's not as ripped up as he used to be. He's kind of skinny, but still yeah, sinewy. Yeah. 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 Like his, yeah. And so his profile and everything. And, um, but I, you know I mean? I liked it, but again, I guess I w- I'm with you. I would like to see where she goes with it. Cause yes. right now, like I said, it is very samey and, uh, I didn't jump up and down about it, but Holy crap. The, different covers they did for this book Whoa. gorgeous yeah except for scotty young's but uh <laughs> there but scotty young is very talented i just don't like what he does i don't okay? either <laughs> i don't either at one point okay that guy that was his what commander in the army or whatever right oh his commanding officer the punisher just starts raging on this place mm-hmm. and the guys are like oh god okay what do we do because he's like oh shit, that's frank castle and the dudes are like, oh, you know, you knew him. You go talk to him. And he says, problem is that down there, that ain't Frank. That's the Punisher. Ain't no talking to the Punisher. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Like just that one balloon in yeah, the comic. I was like, okay, line. Clooney, good job. So yeah, I want to see where she goes. But really right now, I can only give it a skim it. Fair but enough. That's, that's not unfounded or unfair. I, and I get that. And when you read the Punisher, you kind of know what you're getting into. Yeah. And I've read him a lot, you know, so it's yeah. like, like, it's like you said, but is he then, is he then better served like in the daredevil show? Is he better served as a side guy? That's as a guy where things can roll off and stir yeah, things up. Like as someone that pops up in Spider-Man or daredevil yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. I don't know. And we'll see. I mean, I would hate for him to be reduced to that. And I hate to but say if that's this, a better place for him. Put him there. I think my love for the welcome back Frank story may have swayed me a little bit because it sure. felt very welcome back Frank. Okay. Right on, man. Regardless. Love the Punisher. I'm giving this a bite. Jared, I, I don't know why I didn't know you would do this book. <laughs> I wasn't going to at first. I wasn't going to at yeah, first. Yeah, like you would pick something else and still found your way to Dungeons and Dragons. I did, folks. I read... Dungeons and Dragons Shadows of the Vampire number one by IDW Comics. It's written by Jim Zub and the art is by Nelson Daniel. Zubakavich. Oh, yes. He's a Polak, right? <laughs> Gotta be. Listen, man, you know, I know my people. Uh, <laughs> cover price is $4.99, but listen, that's like for 42 pages. This thing's a little thick monster. Yeah. IDW is not afraid to put out some pages. Here's the solicit. Manskin Boo are back. <laughs> and things have never looked more dire. As mysterious forces draw the legendary ranger and his crew of adventurers to Ravenloft, the realm of terror, where they find themselves face to face with undead horrors in the land of eternal night. Ravenloft, my favorite D&D world. Listen, it's a solid I one. It. I love it. 
Kevin Coffee Love Slave is starting up a uh, Ravenloft campaign. Get in on it. I want to play. Yeah. Okay. When? Now. When? <laughs> <laughs> We've already rolled up characters. Okay. Okay. I want to uh, play. Uh, as the house DM here in the Ziggurat, I felt it was my duty to review this book. I am one who plays role-playing games weekly. I consume like this. I obsess over like this. Comic books like this one here are aimed at readers like me. But are they aimed at readers like you? The solicit begins with, Misk and Boo are back! Do you even know who they are? I admit I didn't. Now let's back it up, Matt. Okay. In 1981, I was given the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Monster Manual for my birthday. This is when you were like 22. I've been screwed up ever since. (laughs) Every edition of the game has seen hours of play in my hands. Nearly every time a comic book with the words Dungeons and Dragons on the cover has been published, I bought an issue. Doesn't mean I stuck with it. <laughs> when reading a D&D comic book you want, nay, you need a few things, sir. It needs to capture what I can only describe as the fun of the table. This being daring adventure, camaraderie, rompous jokes, witty banter, and glorious battle. Does this book do that? Yeah. It does, yes. Most definitely. Yes. Now let's get some perspective on the current edition of the self-proclaimed world's greatest role-playing game quotes. Now listen, this is all strictly Toots' point of view. Okay. The following opinions are that of Willie Toots and Less. are not reflected yes. on the ziggurat yes. or <laughs> two-headed nerd therein. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> now the game was struggling after the release of fourth edition. That particular set of rules didn't have many fans and Wizards of the Coast, which from this point on in the review, I shall refer to as Watsy. <laughs> Needed to do something to get back all their old school players. I hate Watsons. (laughs) So naturally, let's prey on nostalgia. Nostalgia is glaringly obvious nowadays, primarily in movies. And ever since the remake of Clash of the Titans, movies feel like they need to show you something from the original film to spark that bit of joy you once had. So the viewer can in turn redirect that joy towards this new thing. More recent examples would be Star Wars and Jurassic Park. Now, in all of the 5th edition rulebooks, you see the names of heroes and villains that longtime players should immediately latch onto and be like thrilled to see. Oh, that's fun. Even the choices of monster entries in the current monster manual reflect this. Now that's where Minsk and Boo come in. Minsk and his giant space hamster companion Boo first became publicly known in the 1998 video game Baldur's Gate. Yeah, well, he's actually from uh, one of the game designers' yeah, tabletop. Yeah. They were doing a dark no, like, stuff. I remember campaign. the game now. All of a sudden, yeah. it just hit me. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. He's got a statue in Baldur's Gate. He quickly became a fan favorite. So let's put him in the comics, and people will automatically look upon them favorably. The recent IDW D&D comic series, they all run parallel to the current events and adventures being sold by Watson. It's a clever tie-in and marketing stratagem. Yeah, I can't, I can't blame them for it. The same way that, you know, Marvel does movie tie-ins and, you know. Yes, exactly. TV tie-ins and Titan and stuff. Yep. Now, to keep those flames of nostalgia burning, Watsi has chosen to resurrect the Ravenloft setting from 1990. Now, you heard Matt. It's his favorite. It's awesome. It's an award-winning module. It's been ranked number two in the top 30 D&D adventure modules of all time. It's full of Draculas and Frankensteins. Yes, and kudos to Watsi for going so far as to get the original writers and creators of that Ravenloft module to help work on the new one. Okay, let's get on to the comic book review. Thanks for putting up with everybody there. If you haven't already skipped ahead to, ma- to the next part of the show. 
Okay, so now you've got Minsk, the human ranger, Delina, the elf wizard, and the two thieves, Cridal, the elf, and Shandy, the halfling. I know, there's no dwarf. I know. A sacrilege, but uh, whatever. They return from it's not another- sacrilege, it's racism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so much better. In its purest it form. Is purest- <laughs> Job would be pissed. Okay, now we return to start another quest in the Forgotten Realms with these characters. Now, of course, Forgotten Realms, they did studies. It's the most used campaign setting in D&D, so it's now the default setting for D&D. Again, 5th edition is playing on your loves and nostalgia. Anyways, these heroes, they're no path grinders, but they're a solid band of adventurers. They are hired by the Church of Kelimvor to investigate a series of assaults on one of the face temples. They are joined by a warrior cleric named Nerys, from the Church of Kelimvor, who doesn't see eye to eye with the band or mercenary heroes, but they're thrown together in the face of adversity. Now, by the issue's end, the title of the series comes into play as the group is transported from the realms to Ravenloft, which, if you didn't know, it's a demiplane of the dead. It's not on the Forgotten Realms. Right. It's another plane It's like a of side yeah, world. It's like when you guys went to the Shadowfell. Oh, don't even bring that up. Jesus. <laughs> now, <there's laughs> the Shadowfellas. <laughs> I don't want to go. The Shadowfellas, oh baby. They were born out of that. Thank you. Meatloaf for taking us there. <laughs> Anyways, there is also a backup story, which is the online comic that Watsi used to hype their first fifth edition adventure called The Tyranny of Dragons. The heroes in that tale are actually based on the set of pre-painted plastic minis that were released at the launch of fifth edition. Those pages are reprinted here, but it actually reads kind of clunky like that instead of being released like periodically like it was. But it's a nice addition, and it does pump up the size of the book. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. like I said, it was cool to see it. Um, I, would, I would like to see some actual usable game content in future issues. Like, give us character sheets of the main cast or stats for the villains. That stuff's cool and usable by uh, players of the game. But I guess I do have the Pathfinder comics for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think they want you to buy it. The idea uh, yeah, is mm-hmm. they're not giving anything away. No, Watsy don't do no church. Not Watsy anymore, dude. <laughs> Big question. Should you care about this? I suppose not. I get asked quite a bit about swords and sandals, fantasy and magics and comics, and what should a reader pick up if they were interested in rereading some of those things. Does this book fit that bill? It wouldn't be my first recommendation, but it would serve well in that regard. Zub has been writing fantasy for some time. There's no worries there. Uh, Daniel's artwork was really great and makes the book accessible where it could get bogged down and like taking itself too seriously. I know the majority of you listeners are cape readers, but this book, although heavily filled with D and D lore, it's got all the elements that make a cape story an enjoyable read. I say, pick it up off the shelf, flip through its pages, find the preview pages online. They're out there and check them out. Basically I'm telling you to skim it dudes. See, I loved it. I honestly loved it. And what it was, it reminded me, here's the thing. Dungeons and Dragons, any role-playing, you know, comic book adaptation can get so bogged down in trying to capture the feel of the Mm role-playing that it forgets the fact that there's dorks like you and me playing the characters. Like I said, the table fun factor. Yeah, and the table fun factor was so present here. Like, you could feel it. Like, the side characters, the Nerys, for example, was obviously a character that the DM was running. Yeah, that like was like, your, your NPC. Hey, these mercenaries shall yeah. not invade Archer. Oh, and yeah. they were like, oh, this f-ing guy, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and it just reminded it me of... a girl, actually. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> there I go. With my heteronormatives, I apologize. <laughs> you're, you're, yes, come on. 
but it reminded me of the way we play and the snarky comedy that we constantly throw into oh, yeah. the game. Mm-hmm. And I thought the art was really good. And like you yeah. said, you can really get bogged down in these boring fantasy stories. Yeah, trying to make them real. But, Come on, it's fantasy. It's not yeah. real. And I think Jim Zub loves this stuff. Love, absolutely loves Dungeons and Dragons. Pays really close attention to Ravenloft. Well, his and creator own thing was that. Skull yeah. kickers. And can inject all of that into the comic. I, I'm giving this a buy it. I really Right on, like man. It. Right on. I'm saying D&D, very, very hard to write. And make oh, it entertaining. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a very particular audience. Oh, yeah. So that's a buy it and skim it for Punisher Volume 10, number one. And a buy it and skim it for Dungeons and Dragons. I can't believe one. you're giving it the skim it. <laughs> Listen, man, it's not for everybody. That's what I'm thinking. Okay, like, okay. You, I think people need to look at it and and I feel that they'll see something and be like, yeah, I'll check this out. Willie Toots, the people's champion. Oh, okay. Now it's time for you vigilante vets and dungeon crawlers to play critic. So head over to the THN forums, dot boards, dot net. And tell us what you thought of these comics. It seems all but inevitable that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican candidate for president after his big win in Indiana. And while the Texas Twister is celebrating his victory, El Diablo isn't crazy about the idea of this wall he wants to build (laughs) on the American-Mexican border. And... Oh, my gusta. Like Mexican Presidente Vincente Fox... He's more than willing to educate the Donald and the Texas Twister as to just how beneficial immigrant workers are to this country. All while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Run. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Renato Jones, the 1% from Image Comics. <laughs> this book... <laughs> I don't know why he did that in an accent. <laughs> it was great. Right on the cover, this book, it says, is created, written, drawn, colored, and owned by Carrie Kyle Andrews. We were discussing, is it Carr, Carrie? Who knows? I think it's Carrie. I'm somewhat leery of Carrie's writing ever since the radioactive jizz incident of <laughs> Spider-Man Rain. But the creator's art is so stylish, I couldn't help but check this book out. Leonardo Jones is a mix of the Punisher and the Batman, preying on a unique set of criminals. The 1% socialist. Don't you hate those dudes? <laughs> <laughs> Although I found the writing to be okay, it didn't really hook me to read more. The star of this show for me was the art. It's flipping gorgeous to look at. Carrie's panel layout and, and, and start blacks and use of negative space. Just smash your eye holes. Yeah, he's so good. I'll check back with this book just to look at it, but probably not to read it. Skim it. So this is the psychotic adventures of Bernie Sanders? <laughs> <laughs> you got to check it out yeah, when you get I a love, You, I you, love might, you might really Andrews. dig it. I love Carrie Andrews, but I wish he'd stop writing. <laughs> All right. Weavers of Weavers number one from Boom. I love writer Simon Spurrier, but he may have taken on a premise so insane here that it's a little too much to follow. And this is coming from a guy that named Six Gun Gorilla the best miniseries of 2013, okay? Here we get a mafioso tale of a gang infected with bizarre spider powers. Think Goodfellas if they were all possessed by ancient magic spiders (laughs) and had spider abilities, (laughs) I guess. Wait, so it's a... But magic spider abilities, not like Spider-Man. They're not climbing walls. Spider-Verse? Each gang member carries a mystical spider inside them. Spider Island? That grants strange spider powers that none of them seem to completely understand. Great art by Dylan Burnett, but the story expected the reader to follow along in a fast-paced tale without much explanation at all. Weavers wasn't bad, 
but it was really hard to follow. I'm giving it a skim it. Sorry, Simon. Beast of Burden with the cat dragged in. One shot from Dark Horse Comics. There have been seven issues of Beast of Burden, not to mention multiple stories in Dark Horse anthologies. Have you read any of it yet? I read all of it. It's so good. Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer return for another tale about this intelligent paranormal fighting animal group from Burden Hill. But this time, it's focusing on the felines of the group. Now, here's what you get. Creepy situations, horrors, comedy, demon banishment, (laughs) the sweet relief of death. Acting! (laughs) (laughs) Incredibly touching sadness. These are all mainstays of the Beast of Burden series. The series has won seven Eisners. THN has told you before. Here it is again. Buy it. Yeah, we might just have to put this in like the closet of trophies. Yeah, We're done talking exactly. about Beast of Burdens. It's, it's too in good. the trophies. If you're not reading it, you're yep. dead. <laughs> King's Quest number one from Dynamite. Ben Acker of Ben Acker and Ben Blacker and Heath Corson write the perfectly Silver Age adventure of Mandrake the Magician teaming up with Prince Valiant, Flash Gordon, and the latest incarnation of the Phantom and his kid sidekick as they venture to Mongo to save Dale Arden. Vandroid penciler Dan McDade. I don't know how Vandroid keeps coming up. It's awesome. <laughs> Kicks ass here, making the story feel classic and modern at the same time. I didn't care for the uselessness of the Phantom's new sidekick, but I can only assume she's going to play a bigger <laughs> part later. <laughs> Giving it a skip. What is the Phantom sidekick's name? Uh, little was, ghosty? No, it was a little girl. I can't, yeah. Ghosty. No, she's like the next in line to be the okay, Phantom, but sure. all she does is like, oh, sh- I'm scared. I'm going to puke. You know, like she's got to work through that. She's got to work through that. Yeah. She's Carl in Walking Dead season one. (laughs) 4002 AD. Number one from Valiant Comics. This is comics from the future. Super future, man. Writer Matt Kent is joined by artist Clayton Crane and David Mack on this series that stars Rye and a handful of Valiant heroes in the distant future. The story begins today in the free comic book day special. Did you get it? It continues then over here, in this book here. (laughs) This is only the second issue I've read of any Valiant books since the company's relaunchings. It was easy enough to follow without any real prior knowledge of happenings in that universe. Now David Mack, he beautifully leads readers into the book with a series of pages that set the stage. Then Crane takes over with his usual art style, and together the two artist works mesh together like it didn't like... They are both It wasn't jarring, you know? Uh, The story had no weight for me coming in cold like this though and really I just don't care about any of these characters but if you ever wanted to see the XO Man of War Hulkbuster armor now's your chance skim it see I loved it buy it from me yeah I, I know but I'm but a huge you, Valiant you're a Valiant guy yeah, you're all I'm into stuck it. in the Valiant universe big time three Floyds Alpha King number one this is a story as confusing as its title. Nick Floyd and Brian Azzarello write this tale of interdimensional madmen coming to Munster, Indiana to hijack the greatest microbrew ever concocted. <laughs> Yummy. Between the bizarre art of Simon Bisley and the even stranger story, it was difficult to follow, to say the least. At best, this was pretty to look at if you appreciate a good Guar concert video. <laughs> but man, was it hard to follow. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of felt like everyone creating this comic was drunk at the time, but I can't say I didn't find it entertaining. And you know what? Maybe get if, drunk and then read you're, it. Yeah, get drunk, turn on a Guire record, read this comic, you'll f- love It'll it. be the best. Daredevil, The Punisher, Seventh Circle, number five from Marvel Infinite Comics. 
I made a bunch of goofy thoughts this week, and this was one of them. I had no idea that this was one of Marvel's Infinite Comics line. Okay, I didn't either. Nor did I know that it was the fifth issue of an ongoing like book or story formatted for digital reading. I saw the title, and I thought it was just a one-shot, like late entry to hype the Daredevil Netflix show co-starring Punisher. Yeah. Now, apologies to Charles Soule, or is it Soule? I think it's Soule. It's just Soule. Uh, but I just didn't care for this one bit, nor did the artwork do this book any favors. It's completely forgettable and unenjoyable. Leave that turd. I'm totally with you. And I, I like Charles Soule's Daredevil. This is not Charles Soule. It, it's just like they got to maybe fill the content and they're yeah. cranking it out. The art felt that same way. And I don't, I don't get the whole like, oh, hey, you like the Netflix show? Well, here's something that barely has anything to do with the comics, but yeah. it's kind of like the Netflix show. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Thunderbolts number one from Marvel. Out of the steaming pile of crap that was the Avengers Welcome to Pleasant Hill crossover that no one could follow comes the return of the Thunderbolts with art by Rob Liefeld. Pardon me. With art by John Malin. And I don't mean that as an insult. Malin obviously loved Liefeld's work and expounds upon his terminally 90s style to better effect than Rob ever reached. But while I think the Thunderbolts is a better fit for Bucky, there wasn't much here for me to grab onto or get excited about. The addition of Kobik, the living embodiment of a cosmic cube as a four-year-old girl, which what? has yet to be properly explained, did nothing for the story other than make it feel like an aging 80s sitcom in need of a ratings boost. The solicit said it all. They're a renegade team rampaging across the Marvel Universe under the direction of the Winter Soldier. But are the Thunderbolts heroes or villains? And do even they know for sure? I don't know, and I'm not sure I care. <laughs> Skim it. Sorry, Joe. Cinema Purgatorio. Number one from Avatar. Seriously, for some reason, I thought this book starred Brian Pulido's <laughs> scantily clad red demon Purgatory. I didn't know you were such a Purgatory guy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I gotta read that. I have her red metallic embossed cover dude there you go. don't forget the one with the real some. black leather bikini i didn't ever don't, I, don't ever, <laughs> yeah. I swear i don't okay boy i'm glad i was wrong with that assumption uh alan moore and kevin o'neill they rejoined forces to bring readers a new anthology comic in a square bound format that's one of my favorite formats from the what it's like early 90s it's featuring five stories by various creators. The book is formatted like a series of short serials one might have seen in the early days of cinema. There are a couple real gems here, but just like any anthology, there's some turds as well. Uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and there are stories here that have me wanting more. There's violent keystone cops, vampires, daemons, alternate histories, and kaiju. They all make an appearance here. I really enjoyed the twisted take on Pokemon. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> now, this book's totally worth checking out. Skim it. Yeah, it just suffers from the same thing every anthology suffers from. Yeah, dude. It can't all be great. At least go look at it for the crazy picture of Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> it was like Alan Moore doing Nick Cave. <laughs> Space Battle Lunchtime, number one from Oni. Natalie Rice writes and draws the best comic book I read really? this week about an intergalactic TV show that features chefs from all across the known universe competing against each other. An aspiring baker from Earth gets the nod when another alien chef drops out and cuteness and hilarity ensues. 
put down your superhero comics and follow your fellow human peony on her quest for universal culinary fame. This comic was fun to read, beautifully illustrated, and perfect for any fan of the Food Network or Food TV. Space Battle Lunchtime is equal parts The Last Starfighter and Iron Chef. It gets a huge buy it. They went all the way down to like the dumb shit everybody says on that old, you know, like, uh, what, what's the Alden Brown show where they give them, like, your first ingredient? Chopped, yeah. dude. Chopped. Your first ingredient is toothpaste. Your second ingredient is blueberries. Your third ingredient is tar. You know, or whatever. Yeah. And they were like, I think my flavor is really going to come through and impress the judge. Like, it was all there, and it was very snarky making fun of it. A lot of fun. Buy it, buy it, buy it! That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the onomatopoeia of the week, and the sound of the Punisher nailing a guy to an electrical panel with uh. rebar and a cinder block, <laughs> as seen in Punisher number one, volume ten. If you need even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the King of the Dollar Bin, Aaron Myers' ludicrous speed reviews. I am the God of Hellfire. And I bring you fire. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, the THN Ouija board was ringing off the hook while both Neron and Dormammu were desperately calling and trying to explain why they should be part of the upcoming Doctor Strange movie. Why are they calling us? Because, <laughs> dude, come on, the Ziggurat is a focal point. I mean, I get that. I get power. That. We're on a ley line. I understand. And strangeness. <laughs> Matt, I don't have the heart to tell Neron he's part of the seemingly doomed WB, DC Universe of Movies, but I can't think of a good reason why the dreaded Dormammu isn't in the Doc Strange movie. I know, right? Now, now while I try to settle these supernatural kids down, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week, please? My pick for next week is Penny Dreadful, number one, from Titan. This is written by Christy. She spells her name. K R Y S T Y. So that means every time that I means see she's it, edgy. I want to call her Krusty. <laughs> yes, like Krusty the Clown. Yep. Krusty Wilson hyphen Karens with art by Louis De Martins. Thirty-two pages for three ninety-nine. It might be De Martinez. I don't know. Here's your solicit. The hit TV series is presented in comics for the first time, and the covers of issue one have been released. Who cares? This is the hit TV series presented in comics for the you first time. You want to see the cool variants, dude. Come this, on. This prequel reveals the terrifying events that led Vanessa to try and find her missing childhood friend, Mina Harker, and exposes the true nature of the vampiric monsters infesting Victorian London. Beautifully realized by Louis de Martinez. See, that's why I think it's French. And written <laughs> by the script writers of the hit show. Here's why I like it. Penny Dreadful is the scariest... Horror TV oh my series. God, I love it. 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 If you're not watching it, oh. you are missing. The it's so two. good. Season two, which is the, the best. This, oh man. This <laughs> Louis de Martinez, the preview art for him is super spooky, hmm. super creepy. Hmm. He's sort of like Alex may leave looking. Yep. And it lends itself perfectly to a book like this. Which is too bad. So last week I reviewed uh, Vikings, another uh -huh. show that I really love. Uh -huh. The comic adaptation was terrible. This one looks like they're doing it right. Yeah, I posted on a question of the week forum about that. Like, yeah. Do do you care about uh, these, you know, crossovers, like ad adaptations? Do you, yeah. Do you like when Vikings come to the comics? Do you like? It seems like I only really like it when the actual when creators are doing it. <laughs> when they just grab somebody to do it, it sounds a little bit Sure. Worse. 
Well, Matt, I'm looking forward to Satellite Falling Number One. I looked at this. Written by Steve Horton. The art is by Steven Thompson. You got a couple Steves. Parasites. You got a but v. one of them's like, listen, Steve I'm going v. by Steven. And Steve with a PH. Cover price is $3.99. Solicit. A lone human survived the death of the one she loved and escaped a corrupt earth. She now makes her way as a bounty hunter on a satellite full of aliens. But someone's about to turn her life upside down. By Amala Mala's Blade writer Steve Horton and Star Wars artist Stephen Thompson. Variant cover by Judge Dredd artist PJ Holden. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo! So for fans of space opera crime fiction and lots of things exploding, this book is for you. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Hey, man, I can always use some more sci-fi, like original sci-fi. Yeah. And this sounds like it's uh, pretty cool. I went and looked at the preview pages. Yeah, man. Checking this one out. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Adam Sarlek, the trilogy hardcover from Humanoids, written and drawn by Frederic Bezian. 160 pages for $34.95. Not quite a huge deal, but it's a hardcover. Okay. Yeah, man, they're worth it. Here's your solicit. It's an engrossing, unengrossing universe awaits the reader who dares go past the first page of this off-kilter gothic saga. Populated with a rich assortment of bizarre characters and haunting plots, hints of Lovecraft and Poe abound as hidden secrets, the occult, succubi, which, the plural of succubus, huh? Yes. Spiritual seances and repressed urges are interwoven in Frederic Bézian's award-winning literary and spectacularly dark fantasy. Okay, I know you're like, who the hell is this guy? Bézian is an award-winning French cartoonist. He's been around since the 70s. He's super freaky talented. Cool. He's got highly detailed, sharp line work, super thick painted inks. He still uses a paintbrush to do his inks. Mm-hmm. I tweeted a Vimeo video earlier of his process. It's like a high-speed process. The guy is incredible. It is a shame he's not more famous here in the States. Humanoids is starting to repress and translate and repress a bunch of his stuff. I'm buying all of it. I'll have to check this out for sure. It, it sounds awesome. Cool. Man, okay, I had to hang up on Neuron. That dude is such a downer. It's never his fault. He's always the victim. What a cry, f- baby. My influence has been known since humanity's first fall from grace. Yeah, cry about it and see if that helps. Jared, take it easy on him. Come on, the DC Burbank office has been a rough place to work for the last year. Poor guy is probably terrified he could be replaced by a darker, more extreme Neuron that doesn't dress like a Power Ranger villain at any moment, or worse, written out of continuity altogether. I was going to say, did you see that dude's costume? Yeah. Christ. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> For a lord of hell. <laughs> I know, it's not his fault DC didn't want to draw the ire of conservative Christian family groups, so they made all their demons look like He-Man's buddies. It's really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Can you call him back and apologize? I'll talk to him. Look, I can't talk to him anymore. I get it, I get it, I'll talk to him. Now, people, while, my, while Matt Smooth seems over with Neuron, why don't you nerds head to the THN forums? Tell us what we should be reading next week. Now, through the magic of podcasting, we take you to Legend Comics and Coffee for a live free comic book day edition of Ask a I'm just going to go ahead and open up Ask a Nerd to my man, close personal friend of the show. Guy calls in every damn week. He has his own show. You can find it. Soundtrackalley.net. Soundtrackalley.net. He talks about soundtracks. The man loves superhero music. His name is Randy Andrews. Randy, pick up the mic and do whatever you like. Question for you. All right, a question. Hit us. 
Why is the Beyonder look the way he does in the Secret Wars of the 70s? So you're. Okay. I have an answer for that. 80s, we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so specifically. The Beyonder. The Miami Vice looking Beyonder. The Michael Jackson jacket, Jerry Curl Beyonder. It's look, funny because even when he's not drawing, I yell at Joe to get on the mic. I'm drawing. <laughs> Five I'm, years. He hasn't learned how to speak into a microphone. Sketches for Make a Wish while we're recording this podcast. Okay, so the Beyonder. I can't see anything. Secret Wars. Black and blue hair, sort of like uh, Superman, if you will. Wore like padded, you know, double-breasted suit. White, and it was white, white pants. I believe he had a pink shirt on? No, he didn't have a shirt on at all. Oh, no shirt. No, open jacket, no shirt. Okay, so Or like, it was like a white tank top. Cool. Like sexy Miami Vice. Like it's hot outside. So why is he dressed this way? Why does uh, he look this way? Because when he came to Earth and assumed human form, he uh, got a sense of our appearance and culture from Earth music videos. Oh, okay. So not Miami Vice. I thought he turned on an episode of Miami Vice. No, I believe specifically it's supposed to be like Michael Jackson-esque. Really? Yeah, the hair and the... Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. All right. There you go. I mean, Michael We can all agree that it's bad. So (laughs) R.I.P. It's not supposed to make sense. (laughs) Excellent question, Randy. Thank you very much. Next up. Black Scorpion the Three wants to know, did Shatterstar wear the same outfit as the Beyonder? No, but it was close. No, he did not. It was a, Shatterstar had a cape. Later on in the 90s, he had also lots of patches and a sword with two blades that you really couldn't do crap with. I don't know what you would do with a sword uh, with two to blades. To cut extra. But he was a warrior born. He said it all the damn time. Michael Severe, ladies and gentlemen, from the Omaha World Herald, we've been on his show a couple times. Heck of a guy. Let me turn your mic up, sir. Go for it. See, Joe, you're supposed to swallow the mic. That's the expression. That's right. Swallow the mic, Joe. Hey, look, I, I get enough him. of it from him. I, okay. Just swallow it, Joe. That's crazy right there. Listen, so I've been defending defending comic books now for most of my life, and the movies now, it seems. Every week on Twitter, I'm like, this is why they have those movies. Let me ask you this. Is there a storyline, one particular storyline from the comics, we're going to go Marvel, right, that needs to be in a movie? Which storyline needs to be a movie? Because I've argued that one of the reasons why the first movies were so bad or not great was because they didn't follow actual storylines, and they had people trying to write new stuff. Okay. Is there an old storyline... That hasn't been used yet. That could make a great movie. Ooh. Nerds. I like this. Okay. Here's the thing. We've seen what happens when they try and take a storyline and smash it. Like a, the Phoenix Saga, for example, in the, one of the worst X-Men movies out there, X-Men 3. They took the Phoenix Saga and crushed it. Uh, I think you mean X-Men colon The Last Stand. Pardon me. X-Men colon The Last Stand. They took the Phoenix Saga and literally crushed it into two and a half hours and it was terrible. So you got to be careful with that, but it can be done. I mean, I don't know how many of you saw Cap Civil War. Big round of applause, you did. Now, did we get the Civil War as it was portrayed in the comics? No. no. Did anybody have a problem with that? No. So you can take these storylines and do it. You just got to tweak it a little bit so it works with the movie. As far as one we'd like to see, Joe? There was a, uh, there was a classic Avengers story in the 80s. Uh, called Avengers Under Siege, oh. where uh, the Avengers are just like chilling out, or no, they may they may be away at the time, but the Masters of Evil invade Avengers Mansion. Yes, and, and uh, like while their defenses are down, and they just like bust in there and smash the place, and they uh, they torture Jarvis, and they cause a terrible amount of damage, and uh, so like they they kind of bust through the Avengers vulnerabilities. And uh, we haven't really seen a movie like that where there's a force comparable to the Avengers. Okay. 
you know, I, I think it would be awesome to have like an evil equivalent to the Avengers. That's fair. You know, I'm tired of seeing robots and faceless aliens. Let's yeah, like some with stakes. Like, yeah. here, let me turn you back up, Mike. Can I offer one? Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite ones, reading X-Men, because that's what I love. Sure. Um, how about having Rogue take the powers from Jean Grey? And that leads all the way to eventually what happens with Phoenix. But I mean, now, just the whole idea of Rogue coming in initially, accidentally taking her or taking the powers. You just can't stop with this Rogue stuff. I love Rogue. I think Rogue was messed up. They messed up Rogue. They if messed up Rogue. They could have done Rogue. Rogue. If you loved Rogue that much. You'd know that the powers she stole Miss Marvel, Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers. I know Miss Marvel. Why always say the same thing? Anyway, all I know is that would be fun. That would be cool. Because then the memory thing get all messed up. That would yes. be awesome. That would be cool. That'd be cool. That'd be a good story. Yeah. Okay. Good. And uh, then you could have Rogue that can fly and actually do stuff instead of just standing in the background right. and and look sad. Yeah. I would like to see honestly, and I thought maybe. I mean, no spoilers, but I I would like to see the death of Captain America. I think that would be a story that would really set up. Just show there's no rules. We can do whatever we want. Yes. Like, and he gets shot violently. You know, he's murdered suddenly and violently and it happens very quick. I think it's something they could have done at the end of this movie. And maybe that was written in the script originally. And they went, eh, it's a little too much of a downer. Or they re-signed Chris Evans or whatever. But then we could get to see Falcon as Cap for a while. Or even Hawkeye Ooh. trying to do it and failing, you know? And then Falcon comes in and goes, all right, I'll do it. I didn't want to do it. But no angry it. chanting, sir. <laughs> Excellent question, Michael. Uh, Thank you very much, sir. Patrick Cavanaugh, friend of the show. Do you have a question for the two-headed nerd? Come on, buddy. Pick up the mic. Do whatever you like. Let's hear it. You want a fresh jam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lay it on me. I can't do that. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> what superpower set of an existing hero oh, right. would, would you want to have the least... Oh, but you yeah. can't pick something like a deformed Morlock. Okay, it has to be like an actual character with, oh. with a power set. Okay, yeah. good guy uh, or bad guy, either one. Or it just doesn't matter. Whatevs. Whatevs. Whatevs you want. I this. I got my answer. Joe Patrick. Take Maggot from the X Men. <laughs> his mutation. I liked uh, Maggot. Manifested in such a way that his digestive system turned into two metal. Slugs. Yes. That left his body and yes. then went around and ate stuff without him knowing it. Yeah, like he wasn't a mutant, but his stomach was. No, he was a mutant. Matt. That was his <laughs> mutant power. He turned into a big blue strong guy, and then his stomach slugs went off and ate, you know, cars and trees and garbage. I'm gonna stick with '90s mutants as well and go with Chamber. Chamber had a terrible power. Oh. He was another X-Man. He came up in Generation X. Uh, Chris Bacalo or Bacello, however you want to say his name. Came up with him and he like he was so powerful he blew his chest out with his power and like his heart was like a star or something that powered him. Yeah, his, his and it kept him alive. His powers exploded so violently that uh, it it disfigured him. But every time he used his powers, he got worse. No, too. well, yes. Yeah, later on he did, and then Angel healed him. And it was dumb. no, no. He lost his powers on M Day. Remember? Oh, that's right. And he almost died. And, but they yeah. somehow okay. He lost his powers on M Day after House of M. And the paramedics found him in time. The dude's got no heart, yeah. no lungs, no whatever else is encased in here. But he's feeling much better now. And they just, <laughs> they plugged some tubes into him and he was okay after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, modern technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought Chamber was kind of the... He had a the, terrible the power. One. Yeah. Terrible power. Chest open all the time. Yeah. yeah. M-Day, like you are just an empty person. Right, right, right. And bugs can fly in there. Ugh. Uh, Yuck. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Nasty. Right? Disgusting. Christopher, longtime legend employee and uh, creator of the Giggle Farm. Indeed. Which is not as perverted as it sounds. It's actually <laughs> for kids. It's a good thing. You sickos. All right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christopher, hit us. But you got to get the mic up to your mouth. There okay. You my question is... 
Um, what are your opinions on the, the conflicting narratives of a cinematic universe and a comic book universe? Oh. Um, clearly, there are people who feel that they are competent about uh, the Marvel Universe because they've seen the movies, right? But they are missing, you know, seventy plus years of narrative. Um, I guess, well, and especially with the television shows and sure. the Netflix and all these things, like. I guess, do you feel that you should just, like, let it slide and not kind of come in and be like, correction? Yes. Or just, yeah, just let it be. Like, and understand that these are two separate, distinct right. entities. Okay, so I have uh, I have opinions on this. They don't make these movies for us as comic fans. I mean, yes, we're part of that audience, but they don't really make those movies for us. They make those movies for them, the billions of people out there that do not read comic books. The cool kids. And jocks. So, you know, when I've, I've talked to people exactly how you describe where, you know, they come up to me like in the workplace or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'm a huge fan of Iron Man. Huge fan. I've seen all the movies. And, and as, Joe as punches them out as a comic book fan of going on 40 years, I have to stop myself and like swallow a sigh. and just be like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And it's not because I think I'm better, but I do realize that there is so much they don't know that they haven't experienced that that's out there. And they might not have any interest at all in reading comics. They might. The movies are good and that's it. That might be it for them. It shouldn't be our job to like stand in the way and and say, ho, ho, ho. You know, you haven't read Armor Wars. I'm sorry. Don't talk to me about Iron Man. I'm not interested. That's not how you build new fans ever. Should you just like kind of swallow your pride and, and say, oh, yeah, that's awesome then the answer maybe is yes. You know, have a conversation with that person and say, hey, like you're like you're a door to door. Excuse me. Have you heard the good news about Spider-Man? <laughs> uh, maybe have that conversation and say, oh, like the movies are great. Uh, you should check out the comics. And here's why these comics are so great. But it should never be to, to you know, shout them down or or say, yeah, they got it that way wrong. Like, don't stamp on their joy. Who cares? We get joy out of it, too. And when it comes down to it. At least people are talking about Iron Man. At least people are, are excited about Spider-Man and stuff. Whether or not they go and buy comics is secondary. I hope they do. But truthfully, at least the heroes are out there. They're popular. And they're not going to go away. Just be happy. And you know what? The movies are pretty good. Now, it's a separate question when I find that they have changed my comic books right. to reflect the movie reality. And how do I deal with that as a fan? The answer really is probably the same. But I have a much harder time with it. <laughs> All of a sudden, yeah. Hawkeye's wearing leather and he's got sunglasses on. What's the deal with that? Yeah, when it's reflected in the comics, when it goes the other way. Right. That gets yeah. difficult. Right. You know, like I like the Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. I don't need those same characters running around the Marvel Universe. Particularly. They're not that interesting. Other yeah. than Agent Coulson, they're not that interesting. Right. You know, I, like there is already a host of actual characters from... 60 years of S.H.I.E.L.D. comics that are much, much more interesting than anything on that show. Huge thanks to Legend Comics and Coffee for letting us hang out on Free Comic Book Day. We were there most of the afternoon talking to people and playing music. It was a blast. Thank you to everybody that came out and asked questions. If you have got a question for Two-Headed Nerd, for Ask a Nerd, you can hit us up on the forums, post it there. And if we like your question, we might just use it on the show. Although, we want to ask you to call in or send us an MP3 because we want to hear your beautiful voices. Sort of, sort of.
break it break it down like this that is it for the free comic book day episode of thn if you dig podcasts that dig their free comics with salt on the rim you can subscribe to this show on itunes stitcher or tune in and while you're there leave us your star ratings your reviews your thumbs up and your hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners Again, thank you to all our donors. You're the only thing that keeps Matt and I in margaritas and Mexican cerveza so tasteless that only Americans will drink it. It's true. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, simply check the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. And remember, as little as a dollar a month, it really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. If you want to get all up in our faces and yell at us personally, head over to twoheadednerd.com. There you can find links to all of our contact info. We're on Periscope. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Tumblr. And you can also find the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Billy, don't forget that number because that is how you play along with this show. And... Don't forget to use it to answer the question of the week. Huh? Now, if you guys dug the music you hear on this show, this episode in particular, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. That's right, artists. You're all getting paid. So, no suing us. Got it? Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Tom Holland, who has restored my faith in Spider-Man on screen. Watch for Joe and I's review of Captain America Civil War coming to a THN YouTube channel near you. Word to you, Tom, you adorable little fast-talking scamp. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might send Tobey Maguire to your house to weird you out with his emotionless, (laughs) virtually robotic face and deadpan dialogue. This is the Two-Headed Nerd saying, see you at Free Comic Book Day. And signing off! Go get your free comics, freeloaders!